Okay, that's not gonna work, cause there's music. <laughs> just keep going, just own it. Okay, okay, own it. Man. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Now, well, thank you. Welcome to you for the podcast. Um, this is the Word on the Hill. Dan and Lanky guys. And my name is Father Peter Mosse. And my name is Scott Powell. And uh, dude, you, Scott, it feels so good to be back in the basement. It's good to be back in the basement. I loved being in the booth. I loved being at Seek in this incredible environment with what seventeen, eighteen thousand people on fire for their faith. Actually, I've been reflecting on coming home from Seek, this amazing conference that we were at last week, for those of you who don't know, and how they apply to the readings this week. Oh. Actually, not even how they apply to the readings, but how they apply to the liturgical season. And how they apply to the readings as well, now that I say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, because, and I guess we can start with this. Well, hold on. Let's not start yet. I'll, okay. I'll save okay. that for a second. Okay. I'm going to give a shout out. Um, Wait, did we say who we are and all that stuff? Station yeah. identification? Yeah, we stay You're listening identification. to 99.2 Smooth Biblical Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Dude. Uh, and uh, so another shout out to S- Sam Schoonmaker, or actually I spelled it S-C-C-O-N maker. S-C-C? Yeah, yeah. S-C-C, which I can't really pronounce that. That's I don't like think s- it's pronounceable. I don't think it's pronounceable. It's like the maker. unforgivable sin. It's yeah. the impronounceable consonants. <laughs> it's, like, it's a lot of consonants, dude. It's too many. Yeah, man. That's, <laughs> um, so, yeah, Sam. Sam. Sam, your sister, like, was so excited to meet us because you love us so much, and we think that you're awesome. We do, Sam. Yeah, we didn't meet. Sam wasn't at the conference, right? No. Would you remember his sister's name? Don't. Okay. Well, we love you guys both. Yeah, just, yeah. We, you're awesome, and thanks for giving us all the. Thank all you the for uh, um, all the priests, mm. all of the laity, all of the college students. Um, all the people who came up to us and told us that our, their moms really like our podcast. <laughs> Dude, that's literally my favorite one. Dude, my uh, mom really likes your podcast. Like, it's, it's just like... I feel like I got that one less this week. Yeah, I got... I got past. Yeah. I, the, the real people came up to you and said that, and then... There were a number of people who... who <laughs> a number of people who were like, how can I, without sounding like a jerk, get my priest to listen to your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> How can I subtly slip this into it? Dude, I think that we need to do a frequently asked questions on our website. We and, do. And, uh, and and what we'll do is on the FAQ is... How do you convince a really good homilist to listen? Mm. And then how do you convince a bad homilist to listen? Dude, actually, I'm the ideal. Somebody presented it to me. They were like talking about how... They were like, gosh, now that we started listening to the podcast, depending on how... like. Like it takes a ton of pressure off the priest mm. and that we get so much more out of his homilies mm. um, because we have all this context and there's a richness because as soon as there's grace present, yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's symphonic. I mean, like, it, like these beautiful things. That, and, and so when the priest draws out particular parts of it, it's really cool. I was telling some people that I wish, and, and you're, you're not going to record your homilies. You're not, you're not one of those recordy homily e priests. It, you're just different, and that's fine. Right. But I was telling some people at the conference who, you know, don't live in Colorado, I wish, on, on one level, I don't necessarily want you to record them, but I wish people could hear your homilies on Sunday. Because yeah. we have these conversations, and it's good, and we banter, and we do our thing. But then hearing how you act, and we have a 45-minute conversation about biblical topics, which is awesome. Right. But then you on Sunday make into a homily, and I wish people could hear. It's always fun for me to sit in math and be like, <laughs> what's Father Peter going to do? And sometimes you'll start and be like, what are you, where are you going? <laughs> where are you going, man? But you have this ability uh, to take 
the nuggets, the gems. You're not rehashing our whole conversation, nor no. should you. You take the bits and pieces that work for your congregation and you blow it up into a homily that's actually meaningful in somebody's lives. And that's why I love, that's why I'm not a priest. I'm not given that charism. I don't have that gift. <laughs> I can talk about the Bible. Totally. I get the scholarship. I, I, I have gifts. But it's not that, which is why it's so fun for me to watch that. Yeah. So. It's really fun. And I'm always excited to like talk to you about my homily afterwards. I'm like, do you remember? Did you? <laughs> and I, like, I'm like, I'm like, am I and cool? And with little kids, I hear your homilies about 65% of the time. <laughs> so, and, and so, awesome. you, so you're a part of my target audience. Yeah. The kids are getting older. Speaking of which. Can I say one more shout out? Yeah. Just before we move on. This is also from it's the conference. Shouting. I have no idea who you guys are, but it was the first day maybe of the conference. And I had all three of my kids. And I think I had my two older ones, Lily and Sam. And we were in the, the hotel in the elevator going down. And there were this group, big group of priests that got on the elevator with us. And they looked at my name tag and they're like, oh, you're Scott Powell. Like, you guys have that podcast. We're so excited to meet you. And my kids thought I was the coolest person on the face of the earth at that moment. Because they were like, oh, my gosh, these people know my dad and, like, think he's cool. So whoever you were, oh, fathers in the Westin Hotel, thank you for making my kids think that I'm cool. Dude, seriously, and you if can't you find out the truth, don't don't tell them the reality that I'm actually not. But let's what? keep up the facade. No, dude, you're amazing. Okay. Dude, th that's the best part, man. Like, the, if if I had kids and somebody came up to me and they were like, "It was cool, dude, you're awesome," I, and they're looking and they're like, "It was oh, cool." My dad's important. It like, was pretty fun, and just, it's it was the Z conference, and it's amazing. And you know, you we you and I both experienced this kind of low level of like Catholic celebrity, yeah. and my poor kids who actually think this is real celebrity, you know, like in the real world and nobody <laughs> but it's fun yeah for a couple days we're somebody and it's fun dude you have eyes on the back of your phone staring at me and, really eyes. Creepy. and, and, and my phone is eating the apple oh it is oh, oh. don't eat the apple well, all right our first reading is from isaiah 42 one did through we say four, it's the feast of the seven. baptism of the lord feast of the baptism of the lord we did not say anything about that That's, well, is, when, the, is this the end of the christmas season this is the last day it ends today which has actually no been more. it's a little been a little bit of my reflection because um, this is the day that unless you've had them down for weeks already this is like the official day so the decorations come down the lights turn <laughs> off like this is this is the end which yeah. is a little bittersweet maybe you guys have been waiting for it and like finally I can take the stuff down you know or finally my neighbor can turn off their lights or whatever it is but you know, there's a bittersweetness to it right to putting all the stuff away I remember packing up all the boxes and this it's hard I actually have to in our, the rule in our family is I have to do it when Annie's not around because it's just too sad for her she doesn't like taking down the decorations so I oh. wait till she's off doing errands or something and then I take them all down that's my little gift to her but it's sad it's hard it's melancholy right because we're going back into to regular life and the grunt and just every day which is kind of how I felt when we were coming back from Seek right we're at this amazing con those of you who are there you know what I mean you're in this environment where people are on fire it is huge it's packed it's pumped. There's so much spiritual energy. Spiritual energy sounds creepy. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, it's an amazing place to be. And then you go home and you get on your bus or you get on the plane. You go home and it's real life again. And it's normal. And there's something very beautiful about leaving that. It's almost like coming off the apostles coming down the mountain from the transfiguration. Yeah. It's over. The lights are shut off. We're putting the wreaths away. It's done. And now it's time to go. Now it's time to work. Father Mike Schmitz had... Uh, a great line in one of, I think, the last talk that he gave on the closing day. It was something like, the gospel is ultimately not going to be spread from a stage. And there were some amazing speakers, and there were some amazing things that happened from that stage. Right. But he said the gospel is going to be spread through friendships and families. Right. And if you don't have time for those, then you don't really have time for the gospel. 
So it's great to be at a huge event, right. but then you have to go back and invest and have regular grunt you know, everyday, day-to-day life. And that's where we are liturgically. That's where I am spiritually right now. Right. It's where we are in the readings too. Yep. You know, it's funny. It's like, uh, I can't wait to make time for family and friends in about three or four days after I've recovered from having (laughs) so many family and friends in a singular moment. My my goodness. That's like the extrovert's paradise, man. Which you are. And so for you as an extrovert to be burnt out, that says a lot. No, dude. If you're if you're an introvert, I have no idea who who the introverts in this room are. In this room, (laughs) who are the introverts in this room? You. (laughs) Yes. Hi. Um, Baptism of the Lord. We have Isaiah forty two one through four six through seven. Yep. Oh, by the way, there's like weird two options. There's two options in in year C. There's like a second option, which is Isaiah forty and. Titus, and we're not doing those. We're not, and there's a different psalm. So they're actually, for the first uh, the first reading, the psalm, and the second reading, there's different options. Right. We're going to stick with the first. Um, I, I think pre-psalm, though, the, the idea liturgically is if you choose the second option, you got to stay consistent. Either do all of the first option or all of the second option. So right. we're just going to go with the first one because um, it's easiest in the sense of that's what people see first. Right. But I actually think the readings themselves are a little more challenging. So oh. I kind of am excited to do them. So yeah, so our responsorial psalm that we're going to be doing this week is from Psalm 29, verses 1 through 2, 3 to 4, 3, which is weird, and then 9 through 10. And the response itself is from the very last line, which is verse 11b. Uh, reading De Segundo mm. is the Acts of the Apostles, <laughs> chapter 10, 34 to 38. Way to commit to that. Hey, man. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> <laughs> and our gospel, yeah, I know. the gospel is the same, whichever schema of readings you have. It's the same. It's uh, There's only one gospel. Gospel is from Luke chapter three, verses 15 through 16, and then jumping all the way to 21 through 22. 21, 22. It is cool for you. Well done. I like what you did there. Yep. Um, well, um, so we're uh, Isaiah 42. <laughs> uh, yes. Isaiah 42. Isaiah um, 42. It's yep. the first of what are called the servant songs. Right, so this is the the, the, the first one. Won't There's four servant songs. Be your ser- Give the tune off. So this is the first one. Uh, the servant isn't song. There Led, isn't oh there a Led Zeppelin goodness. album called the Servant Song? I can't imagine that there is. Swan Song or something. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not the Servant Song. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I can be proven wrong. Yeah. Um, okay, the servant song. We're, we're right <laughs> after. <laughs> you're you're out of control. I am out of control. We're right after the turn in Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah is essentially you can. We always talk about this. You can kind of split it into two parts: the bad news and the good news. Yep. Bad news: we fell into sin, idolatry. We're terrible. We've done all these terrible things. We're going to get punished. Good news: God's going to eventually restore us and bring us back to life and 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 bless us. Okay. Right. You can split it up, chapter 1 through 39, the bad news, chapter yep. 40 through 66, the good news. Yep. So we're in chapter 42. So we just got the good news, which begins actually with the second option for reading. It's the first line of that. This is comfort, comfort, my people. Sometimes the second part of the book is called the book of comfort or the book of consolation. So in this sort of message that even though you've fallen into grave sin, even though there's punishment, even though you are sort of feeling the effects of a lot of really bad decisions over time. You are going to be restored. Israel will once again someday, even though you don't feel it now, be the nation that I wanted it to be, the kingdom of priests and, and um, you know everything else that God has wanted. But I want you to listen to this passage that they're given. So imagine living in the midst of this really dark time nationally for Israel and being told that someday Israel is going to be restored. Because the servant songs, these this servant 
that's described in these four different songs is the idea was this is the ideal embodiment of Israel. Okay. So it's a personification of the nation of Israel. And I've, I was trying to think actually earlier of um, uh, ideas of personification of nations. So you, you could talk, sometimes we talk about Lady Liberty, like, or, or Uncle Sam, like Uncle Sam wants you to, you know, Uncle Sam. I don't know. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's, there's, but there's certain ways in which we talk about us collectively as a country personified as a person, you right? Know, you know Uncle the, Sam. You know what the, the, uh, literal, uh, the, uh, the Uh-oh. English term for that is? No. Synecdoche. Is that a synecdoche? Yeah. Synecdoche. New York, the city in New York. Ah. Ah. No, synecdoche is when you describe the whole. Um, yeah, using, yeah. Oh, oh. I usually the, think of that in a different sense. Well, there's there's two. There's, there's the literary, literal, literary. There's sense. metimony and synecdoche. And metimony is when you describe something using a part like boots metimony, on the ground. Metimony, metimony, <laughs> Okay, boots on the ground. <laughs> boots on the ground. So, so like here come the redcoats. That's like a metimony. Okay. Whereas Uncle Sam is mm, a synecdoche. Is a synecdoche, which is sort of the inverse. Be- because almost. there's a fullness to yeah, that part, yeah. but embodies the whole. That embodies the whole. Okay. So because like it, it's just it's kind of like a metaphorical yeah. embodiment of the whole versus. Uh, a part that describes the whole. Yeah, okay. I like that. So, metimony well, and synecdoche. For those of you who want to get real geeky-like. No. Some of our listeners are really geeky. Yeah, they That's do. the thing about our people. And somebody's going to correct me because I probably got it wrong. Yeah, you, okay. you might have. That's you know, okay. That's, but I'm still cool. <laughs> well, they can start their own podcast. Okay. Um, listen to this, though, as though... So, here's the thing. You read the servant songs... And we, in the light of Jesus Christ, we understand, oh, Jesus fulfilled, he was the servant. He's the one that fulfilled all this stuff. Like, he did this. Right. But imagine, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So imagine you're in right. this. But but we too easily make it just about Jesus instead of seeing the bigger picture. Because, yes, it is about Jesus, but we have to understand what we mean by that. So listen to this. It says, thus says the Lord. Again, they're living in dark times. They're looking forward to the time that their nation is going to be what it's supposed to be again, right? Yep. Thus says the Lord, here is my servant whom I behold, whom I uphold. Who is the servant? Uh Israel. Jesus, Israel. Yeah, see, this, this is the tricky part. But if you're living in Israel pre-Jesus, right. you're hearing, here is my servant who I'm upholding. They're hearing, oh, that's the nation of Israel. It's like Uncle Sam. Yeah, we we are your servant. Right. My chosen one. You're my chosen nation. Chosen right. nation, not person. They're thinking collectively. With whom I am well pleased. I'm well pleased with this with this nation, with this Israel. Upon whom I put my spirit. I put my spirit on Israel. He, personified, right, shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, a smoldering wick he shall not quench. You just quenched a smoldering wick, right? Uh, literally, literally. Right, you just did that. I'm, I'm machining followers for tiny candles for my tiny chalices. <laughs> I'm just going to let that sit there on there <laughs> and you guys do what you want with it. Yeah. It's true. Everything, every word is true. Uh, until he establishes justice on the earth and coastlands will wait for his teaching. Again, we hear this and it's almost impossible not to hear Jesus, which is good. That's, that's right. But, but we also have to hear Israel. What are the nations waiting for? The nations are waiting for Israel to go out to the ends of the earth. The nations, the coastlands are waiting for the teaching of Israel who had the covenant, who was the only nation on earth who knew the one true God and whose job it was to be the representative of the one true God, Yahweh, to every nation on earth. That is the nation on which God has put his spirit. So the expectation is that all of Israel is supposed to do this. All of Israel is supposed to be the messenger to the nations to tell the world who Jesus or who Yahweh is, right? 
And I, I don't... I'm going to come back to it. So I'm kind okay. of setting a foundation for something, and I don't mean to overdo it, but I want everyone to just challenge themselves, just as an intellectual exercise, to hear this as a na- as a national statement rather than simply an individual statement. Okay. Because you can't understand... This is our, 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 t- our mentor Tim Gray's famous statement, right? Is Christology is Israelology. You cannot fully understand who Jesus is unless you understand the vocation of the nation of Israel. Right. You cannot understand Christology without Israelology. So this is a statement of Israel. And the expectation is Israel will do all of these things. They will create a covenant and bring a light, be a light to the nations to Put open justice. the eyes of the blind, prisoners out of confinement, from the dungeon to bring out those who live in darkness. That is Israel's job. Like we as Americans see ourselves as the bastion of democracy. Our job, you know, when, when, and I don't mean that in a cynical way. We're in a weird place politically. But, I mean, there should be a national pride, not a, not a, not a, not a pompousness, not a pridefulness, but in a sense, like, I'm an American. I, that's a good thing. A democratic and we have done, republic. We have done great things in the right. history of this world, and we've stood for truth, and, and we've, we've messed up in a lot of ways, too. But you know what I mean? That's the idea, that, that this is what they're hearing. Israel right. will open the eyes of the blind. Israel will bring prisoners out of confinement. Israel will bring out of the dungeon those who are in darkness, all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. And th- there's something good to that expectation, especially if you are citizens of that nation living in your darkest hour. Mm. And saying we will rise again, not because we're so great, but because God will make us so great. Okay, we'll we'll okay. table that. Yeah, wow, that was that was a beautiful big download. But I <laughs> but I totally I totally see exactly what you're saying. Is we have to have a, a really clear accuracy accuracy about the vocation of Israel to see its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, Jesus won't really makes sense right and this is i feel like if i had a perennial argument in my whole life it's Mm. just to say you have to know like they say that if you're ignorant of history then you don't know anything or doomed to repeat it doomed to repeat it there you go (laughs) (laughs) well said though Oh, that, that was, was very meta. Okay, let's go to the response over the song before my embarrassment g- gets. The no, best of me. <laughs> I knew what you were saying. I know. I know. I was, I'm, I'm I was there. I was there. I just couldn't there. get there. But no, you're there. Like, I was doomed to repeat it. The people okay. all knew. Yeah, we. Are. <laughs> <laughs> so we begin actually with the last line of this psalm: "The Lord will bless His people with peace." And again, hear this in light of the first reading: "The Lord will bless the people of Israel with peace, so that they too will be peacemakers. They too will bring God's glory." And that's it. Goes on to say, "Give the Lord, you sons of God, give to the Lord glory and praise. Give to the Lord glory, do His name. Adore the Lord in holy attire. Dress nicely for mass." In other words, <laughs> and, and it goes on: "The voice of the Lord is over the waters." Two things I want to say about this psalm. Number one, it, this is a psalm in a lot of ways about God's majesty over all of creation. Mm-hmm. And so if you're Israel, you know that God is the God of Israel. But what you might have forgotten about, I guess, over this course of, of being a human being and going through all the struggles that we go through, is that not only is God a God of Israel, God is a God of all of creation, mm-hmm. including the other nations, but also including creation itself. And so this is a psalm that talks about God's authority over the waters, over the storm clouds, over the thunder clouds. It's specific. Actually, if you read through Psalm 29, it has a lot to say about God being God of water, which 
you know, you can say, oh, it's the baptism of the Lord. Obviously, like that makes sense. I see where you're going. But there's actually a really specific historical context about this. Is, isn't water about chaos? I mean, like... In a certain sense. I mean, like... like yeah, you no, know, in a very real sense. That was the the ancient understanding. And it wasn't unique to Israel. All of the ancient Near East sort of saw water as a chaos, as a chaotic reality. Right. But But because of that... Most of peoples of the earth found ways to deal with that chaos and bring sort of a sort of order. And so Psalm 29 is, I want to say this right, and I don't mean this, uh, I was about to try to say something kind of shocking sounding. Psalm 29 would have originally been heard as, as a piece of political propaganda. Whoa. Which I mean it in shocking. a positive sense as terms of what's true, because it is a direct slam and ripoff of a bunch of imagery that was applied to a god named Baal. And we've heard of Baal, right? Uh, aren't all aren't all bad gods named Baal? An awful lot of them, but there's some specific proper named gods called Baal too. Baal became it means Lord. In, in certain translations. And so later on in salvation history, it became the catch-all for okay. other gods. Okay. But you remember in the time of Elijah? Elijah went to battle. Remember when Elijah builds those two altar, or it builds the altar on Mount Carmel, and he goes to battle with those those um, the pagan priests and yeah. calls the fire down? He's battling with the priests of Baal, and that's a very specific god. And Baal, who in the time of Elijah had his home on Mount Carmel, was known as the god of rain, the god of thunder, the god of water, the god of thunderstorms. And so we actually have archaeology and art showing Baal literally riding on the storm clouds. And guess what? Psalm 29 is like, actually, you know who's riding on the storm clouds? The Lord is. And you're reading this and you're like, oh my gosh, you've just taken every single one of the images for the most powerful God of the time and put God's name in its place. Mm. Every single every single one. That's what Psalm 29 is doing. Saying all these things you thought was God. This false God, these realities, these things that you thought were chaos and you're looking for someone else to bring order out of, you're looking in the wrong place because only God alone is the God of all these things. So there's a specificness about God being a God, not just of Israel, not just of the nations, but of all creation. He brings all of the chaos of the world into order. That's what he does. That's who he is. And the psalm is, is driving that point home by basically accusing the other gods of being nothing. It's the same thing that uh, Moses did on the Ten Plagues, right? The Ten Mighty Deeds in Exodus, and that Elijah did on Mount Carmel, right? Exposing these things to be nothing. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which, um, yeah, there's the reference point to water, which is cool. But one other thing, and I just, I noticed this this morning, and I thought this was cool. Um, Let me get this right. In both the introduction of Psalm 29 and the conclusion the term Yahweh, or the Lord, is sounded four times. Okay. Four times the word, the term the Lord is used. Which always makes me think of directions, in northeast, the, southwest. Exactly right. In the body of the psalm, it's used ten times. Which makes me think of the Decalogue. Yeah, completion. And then seven times the thunder of God is mentioned. Which makes me think of my microphone. Seven? <laughs> Popping. <laughs> no, no. So I, we have... I, always, I always pray, you know, may the Lord rending the oak trees mm. bare. And his, and I was, I think about that when I put on my microphone for Mass. <laughs> the, voice <of> the, Lord, <laughs> awesome. the voice of the Lord resounding oh, over the really waters funny. and stripping the oak forest bare. You don't bare. need this microphone. I mean, I do. I, we should one. pray over our microphones like that. We should have prayed over the ones that... I didn't do mine very well. No, you didn't. But so you have the the Lord and his identity and his name mentioned in a series of four times, of ten, ten times, times, and of seven, seven times. times. That's so cool. Four, ten, seven, and three are the most important terms 
in all of Hebrew because four, like you said, four represents all of the directions, north, south, east, and west. The universe of the whole globe. Ten, in reference to the Decalogue, in reference to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the Ten Plagues. It is the sense of completion in Hebrew, but usually applied to nations or kingdoms. Mm, and the God metric system. Of all, and the metric system, yes. <laughs> Precisely. You nailed it. And then seven, of course, being the number that refers to the covenant. Right. So is there a coincidence that God's identity is being shown in terms of all of the earth, in terms of all of the nations, and in terms of all of us as a people who are wedded to him through his covenant. Which it's is really powerful. Which is the vocation of Israel. Which is the vocation of, well, it's suppo- it's the vocation of Israel. Right. She doesn't always do it. But then Jesus takes it up. And that's actually one of the things that we're going to end up getting to. Exactly right. And how, that's, how Jesus takes that up, which is very cool, which is going to actually fulfill this seven, the 4107. Which is frustrating a little bit because Acts fits into this perfectly, but it's a little out of order. <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's out of order naturally because Acts comes after Jesus. Right. But Acts is showing how the church is living this out. And the scene that we get in Acts, and we're only getting this little snapshot of it, but it's it's probably my favorite scene in the Bible. Oh, that's a big statement. It's one of my abs. It's, okay, okay, let me say this. At I think times it can be your favorite. <laughs> today. Uh, it It's... I think it's mm, this is I'm I'm big into hyperbolic statements today. Dude, I you. think this is the turning point of the entire New Testament. I do uh, think the, that that's actually true. Yeah, I think so too. It's I, the turning point of the New Testament. This yeah. is when the whole story of the New Testament shifts from the people of God being focused on sharing the message of the gospel with Israel to the people of God realizing Oh, oh, wait, we're supposed to go to all the nations. We have a vocation. We have the same vocation that Israel. Oh, wait, are you telling us that we're Israel? That we're supposed to do this? And that we're doing it anew. So this this scene in Acts of the Apostles, which we, we won't go into in too much depth, but depth. But it's this scene where in <laughs> we chapter... Will not, we will all go into it in we depth. We will all go into depth. But in chapter nine, which is right before this, there's this scene where Peter was stand. Uh, he he was he was called into this town because this girl had died, and he was called to raise her from the dead. Remember, her name was Dorcas, also <laughs> known as Gazelle or Tabitha. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. I mean, I've never met a girl named Dorcas. Have you met a Gazelle? I've met a Gazelle. No, you have not met a Gazelle. I met a Giselle. It's not the same. Well, yeah, maybe it is. I know a Giselle too. Shoot. <laughs> Shoot, I do know a Giselle, which I've never thought is an odd name in the least. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, whatever. Anyway, he's there raising Dorcas from the dead. Um, <laughs> Dorcas is cool. He he raises her. And then he goes and stays in this home of this guy named Simon the Tanner. And Simon is an animal tanner, which should strike you as weird because blood and animal carcasses are not something that a Jewish person was supposed to be in contact with. And by the way, tanning is really toxic. And messy. Yeah, because you have to apply tannins to leather and tannins are, are actually what make leather soft and supple over time. Did they have tannins in the old? Oh yeah, yeah, days? yeah, yeah. You, you, tannins, you you can oh. uh, do it with. Um, uh, you, there's a lot of naturally occurring tannins. Huh. Yeah. I didn't. I, I don't really know the process of tanning. Yeah. But you are a jack of all trades, the as you've you've just uh, machine smelted your <laughs> your. <laughs> Followers? Is that what followers, it's yeah, candle followers. And you're tanning, you're gonna go tan some hides after well, this. Well, no, this is actually one of the, the things that's v- like very complex environmentally. Mm. Uh, my father and I have discussed this because he's a custom cowboy boot maker. Yeah. And um how much he has um 
how many tanneries have gone under because of environmental protection stuff. And so to be oh. able to actually make it more green because it's very toxic to the environment. Oh. Even just to that the was natural, your opening statement. Naturally occurring tannins. Oh, interesting. So Simon the Tanner oh. actually is is very um, familiar with caustic things and with with um, uh, like what you're saying, animals and carcasses yeah. and death and washing and like like it's really an intense thing. But yet we really need leather for our sandals because. But it's still weird for Peter to be there. Why? Because as a Jewish man, you're not supposed to be in contact with those things, and yet he goes and stays at the home. Of a guy who would be surrounded by all these things. Because he's ritually un- unclean. He would be ritually unclean. Necessarily. Which Act never explains to you. It just sort of throws it out there. It's like, oh, by the way, Peter stayed. And, and we know that Peter. In Cornelius, yeah. And we know that Peter is faithful to the Jewish laws because in the next scene, he's up on the roof taking a nap, waiting for dinner, right? And there's the famous scene where the heavens open and God shows this sheet. It's the pigs in a blanket vision, right? Right. Where he shows this blanket or sheet that has all these different animals, presumably unclean ones or ones that were considered unclean. And he says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I, I can't. I, I'm faithful to the law. Like, I don't, I don't do that. And maybe God was like, well, you're already staying in the home of the, the tanner. Just go, go have some pig. <laughs> but he doesn't say that. Um, but it, it, it's the uh, saying, what I have cleaned, you shall not call unclean. The whole status of the world is now different, Peter. And the things that were considered unclean, I have now cleansed, which is going to be, it's true, it literally, but it's also going to be used as sort of an analogy or a metaphor for what God is doing to the nations, who Israel considered unclean in so many ways. Which is interesting because that's the job of the tanner is he actually takes the hides and he cleans the hides and makes them soft and supple so that you can actually don oh, them. Oh my, and that's where Peter's staying. Right. That he makes, dude, I've never known, seen, wow. That's really I hope you guys powerful. are following this because that yeah, just yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. So Peter is there right. when people show up from this guy named Cornelius who also had a dream saying, hey, you want to follow Yahweh. You want to follow the one true God. He's a Roman centurion. I don't know if he was, if he was a Jewish convert. I don't know who this guy is, but he's a believer in God. Yeah. And he is told in a dream, hey, send some guys up to this place called Joppa and get a guy named Peter right. and bring him back. So his guys go and get Peter. Peter just had this crazy dream. And then all of a sudden people show up at the door looking for him. And he's like, he's so spun out. He's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go with you. Right. They go up to a place named Caesarea. They're like, tell us the gospel. Peter starts preaching and he's like, okay, Jesus, he's come. He's the answer. He's the fulfillment of all of salvation history. He's done all of these things. And while Peter's speaking, it says that the heavens opened, the spirit descended upon them in tongues of fire, and they started speaking in tongues. They have a second Pentecost. Pentecost happens again as Peter's speaking to these people. And everybody who's with him is like, oh, holy cow. Like this happened to the apostles and Mary and stuff. Now it's happening to these randos out in Caesarea who are not even Jewish. And they're like, are you kidding me? What is God doing in the world? Mm. Everything we thought was true, everything we thought were our priorities have now shifted and changed because God has shown us that the whole status of who we consider to be Israel is now totally flipped on its head. And that's the famous scene where Peter's like, oh, what do we do? Let's baptize him. Because they just got confirmed, so I guess now we should hurry up and baptize them because right. we got to catch up to what God is doing. And this is one of, I think, Peter's finest moments as Pope 
Because what Peter does in this moment is look at the world and say, this is where God is moving. We must conform ourselves to the will of God. Right. And he's like, I don't know who these guys are. I just met them. They're not Jewish. They see, I, I don't know what their deal is, but I see that God is moving. We must conform ourselves and welcome them into the family and the kingdom of God. And this is where this is all happening. And that's where we sort of jump in. And Peter sees, I see that God doesn't show partiality. This isn't just a Jewish reality. It's not just about Israel. Israel is much bigger. Mm-hmm. And he goes on, and he talks about this embodied in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he gives this huge proclamation. This is a hugely important moment in the scriptures, none of which would make any sense if it wasn't for our gospel. Which, which is, which is exhausted by that. That was beautiful. It's my favorite. I love that passage or that section. Well, what I love is, you mean the last words of Jesus are go therefore and baptize all nations, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. And and Matthew. Yeah. And, and exactly. So what we're seeing, but you get the sense that when he said that people don't understand. No. They're like, oh, so you mean go and find the Jews in all the nations and baptize them? He's like, no. <laughs> well, yes and no. Yeah, well, absolutely. That's not untrue. So that's the actually but it's, it's the recovery of the ten tribes, that's which absolute. have been in the oh, diaspora. Yes. So yes, the, the 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 nations have been mingled with Israel, but now it's actually even more profound because it's yeah. you, you've actually we're actually called to go out and make disciples. This is what it actually looks like. But then they're going like, well, what is baptism? Let's like, how, how do we grasp that? And that's actually where the baptism of the Lord comes in because it's interesting because at, at, simultaneously it's prototype uh-huh. and totally other than. It's prototype and other than. I'm, tell me what you mean. Well, so Jesus is the prototype right. of what's going to happen. Yes. Right. That, that he's showing in his embodiment of Israel yeah. That he goes into exile and then comes back into the land through baptism. Yes, he crosses the river. He crosses the river, goes out over to John the Baptist, comes back through, and that's actually in his baptism and returns into the land. Well, do you know? I'm or sure. Or does he go this. out to exile? I can't remember how it goes. He because he does both or something. I don't a, know. Well, you mean when he the wilder, when he goes out to the wilderness? Yeah, it's a little unclear. To yeah. me. But I do know, what I do know is this, and you probably knew this as well, that geographically speaking, yes. you remember this? The Jordan River, the spot where we believe Jesus to have been baptized, is geographically the lowest spot elevation-wise on earth. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard that, but it's always hard to believe that. It's a little hard to believe, but that's what I've, as I'm, unless I'm mistaken, as I understand it, it's the lowest point on earth, which means that what Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus does the servant is Israel, right? Again, there's no demarcation here. The servant of Isaiah is Israel. The servant of Isaiah is Jesus. Jesus is Israel. Israel goes into the lowest spot on earth to plunge himself into the waters, to die in a very real sense, to come out of the waters and to go change the world. But what we need to see when Jesus is doing this is not just Jesus doing it. Right. It's all of Israel is entering into this. Mm. Israel is being cleansed. Israel is being baptized. Israel is entering into the lowest point on earth to come back out of it in exile, to come out of exile, to go then and take up the vocation they were always meant to have. But again, Israel could never do it. So Israel needs to be embodied in the person of Jesus. But make no mistake, when Jesus is baptized, it's Israel being baptized. Right. Well, and and that's why I say it's prototype. No, and, and you're absolutely totally right. You're 100% because, right. Because at the same moment, Jesus has no need of baptism. 
Yes, Jesus has no need of baptism, but Israel does. Right, and that's actually... Which is where you have the paradox of Jesus' baptism. And that's where I always speculate. This is actually, like, I always think of, like, like, what happens when you put something purer in something less pure? Well, look at the clean and unclean. Take it back to Acts. Right. Even t- take away pure and unpure because that's good, but there's a more immediate one. Take something that's unclean, take something that's clean, yep. ritually, liturgically, right. and touch it with something that is unclean. Unclean. What happens to it? Unclean. It becomes unclean, right? Unless you're in this situation. But this is actually where Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't become unclean, but he bears the sins of the world. I always think like, like, cause I mean, the, the planet is covered in water. Yep. We're made of water. Yep. How do you actually touch all living things in a simultaneous moment? Water. Water. So in a profound way, I always imagine- Which takes us back to the psalm. God is the God of the waters. waters. Absolutely. He's enthroned and he actually he's in, understands. He's enthroned by the waters. What happens when Jesus comes Whoa. out of the water of baptism? The words of the coronation psalm are pronounced upon him. Mm. When the spirit descends and the voice of God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's quoting Psalm 2, mm. which is a psalm that David would have prayed over his son Solomon when he was made king. Right. So God is made crowned. He's made king in the waters, of the waters, in the waters, by the waters. It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's what you're really saying is beautiful. really... Can I just read something really quick? Yep. You've probably heard this before. This is a quote from St. Maximus of Turin, who's everybody's favorite. You know right? Max. <laughs> you know Max. And this is a, a homily he gave on Epiphany, which is ironic because it... It's about the baptism of the Lord. <laughs> Just wait a week, Maximus. <laughs> but I love that. I, this, is, this is from Mary Healy quotes this in her, in her book on Mark. Um, so this is, yeah, but he says this. The Lord Jesus came to baptism and he willed to have his holy body washed with water. Perhaps someone like you and me will say, why did he who is holy or clean want to be baptized? Right. He doesn't need baptism, right? He's not sinful. Um, listen then, Christ, bapti- Christ is baptized, not that he may be sanctified by the waters, but that he himself may sanctify the waters Absolutely. and purify by his own purifications the streams that he touches. For when the Savior is washed, and here's your point, all water is cleansed for our baptism and the fount is purified so that the grace of the washing may be administered to the peoples who would come after. Christ takes the lead in baptism then so that the Christian peoples might follow with confidence. Yes. He doesn't get changed by the water. He, he changes, changes the, the water, which as you say, is the only element that will reach every corner of the earth at some point or another. Sky, sea, Right. Universe, down, all four river. directions. There is right? all four directions. From the psalm. Actually, I would say that there's uh, four, six directions. Oh, for Pete's. Because it goes up up and down, too. Oh, up and down, too. Okay. Yes, yeah. you're right. That's true. I mean, that's I mean, but, objectively but, but, true. But, but four is the symbolic way we represent that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, all because of it's directions. Inco- yeah. Because it's a sphere, and so actually, technically, I don't think you need the other two directions. Oh, because it's spherical. Yeah. <laughs> spherical. <laughs> spherical. Uh-huh. It's spherical. <laughs> um, I sound like a nutty, a crazy professor. <laughs> like a mad scientist. It's you spherical. Are, you are a mad scientist. Here's the other thing that I just want to throw in. This is my last thought. Okay. But it, it fills all the... Uh, there's no gaps left, but it, it rounds it out. It's spherical. <laughs> it rounds spherical. it. Okay. Um, the context of Luke is really important because Luke tells the story of Jesus' baptism pretty briefly, but he also tells it differently than the other gospel writers do. Right. Because Luke always puts you, and he did this with the birth of Jesus as well. Right before this, he tells you the historical setting 
the political circumstances that Jesus is baptized into. And at the beginning of the chapter, right? I had it open. I have all these Bibles open. Um, he begins this chapter by saying, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was the governor, Herod was the tetrarch, Philip the tetrarch of the other region of um, uh, the Tetrarchy. high priest of Anna, Annas and Caiaphas. It's all this these political societal reference points, which Luke is the only gospel writer who does that, mm. and he's doing it because he has to show this moment of Jesus' baptism when Israel goes down into the water to be cleansed is not just the Israel that you thought it was. It is far more universal. So it matters who the Caesar is. It matters who the Tetrarch is. Mm. It matters who the governor is. It matters who the high priest is because there is a universality to this. Jesus isn't just the king of this seemingly defunct kingdom of David. He's the king of Caesar. He's the king of Herod. He's the king of Quirinius. He's the king of Annas. He's the king of Caiaphas. He's the king of all of political reality and societal reality and social reality. I really wish you would have said all of this. All of this. Quirinius. And Quirinius. And, and Caiaphas. Caiaphas. And He's the king of all of this. All of this. That's actually uh, yeah, next yeah, time. Yeah, next, in right. three years. Yeah, okay, that again. sounds good. But there's a bookend here, too. Or next so, year, because it's the same reading. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> but there's kind of a bookend here. Think about this. There's a chiasm. There is the, the uh, Luke's telling of the political, the universal politics of the time. Yep. Here are who the kings of the earth are, not just Israel, okay. but everybody, right? Yeah. Then he tells you the baptism. He sets it up with John the Baptist, the whole story. And then right after the baptism, do you know what you get? You get a genealogy of Jesus. Remember, Matthew began his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus, yep. right? Because he wanted to show you how important this was. And he traces, Matthew traced the genealogy of Jesus back to, do you remember who? Zerubbabel? No, that was in there. He goes, it, Jesus back to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel back to the exile, the exile. Mary. Or, uh, Joseph. No. He did it to Joseph. Ultimately. Who's in the beginning of, Ab- of Matthew's? Abraham. Yeah, exactly right. Abraham, because Matthew is a Jew. He's writing primarily to Jews, and his intent, rightly so, is to show very explicitly how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament and all the prophecies and all the kingdom. Right. That's crucially important for Matthew. But Luke ain't a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's from the outside. And so when Luke tells you the same story and when he tells you about Jesus' genealogy, he doesn't just trace it back to Abraham. He traces it back to Adam. Because he's got to show you, no, this isn't merely for all of Israel. This isn't just about the Abrahamic religions. This is about all of humanity. Mm. And here's how Jesus goes back to the beginning. So he bookends the baptism with the universal politics of the time and the universal heritage of Jesus that holds together what he does in the water, which is really kind of cool, I think. Because again, what Luke, what, what Isaiah was trying to say is this servant who is Israel is going to do more than you thought Israel ever could. And it's more than you thought Israel ever was because he is more of Israel than we ever dreamed that we could be. Mm. And then the good news of Acts of the Apostles is that what's Peter doing? He's doing Jesus's vocation. He is now Israel as well. Because when Jesus ascends, he gives the commission, he gives the vocation to the church so that all of a sudden now the church is the servant of Isaiah. Israel was the servant of Isaiah, and then Jesus embodied that servanthood, and then he gave it to us. Well, no, then he um, then he drew us into his he body. He drew us into it, yeah. He didn't give it up to it. Yeah, there's not a separation. It's, it's like a big snowball going down a mountain, found, right? Now we're found in Christ. It's snowballing. It's just getting bigger because we are in him, and he is the snowball at the center. <laughs> I don't know. This, this analogy breaks down. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, well, because, again, snowball, water, 
water. <laughs> See? Spherical. Yeah, yeah. Spherical water. <laughs> now we brought it full now circle. Now we brought it full circle. Circle. Spherical. It just keeps appearing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, man. I need to go eat pie. It's a circumference, <laughs> that's a circumference of a circle. But it's not spherical. It is. You can we, go eat an orange. You, you calculate spheres by pie. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> you lost. You lost. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm there. Oh, that, that dude, took too I, much I, work I, to I, get yeah, there. Was, that yeah, took was, a lot yeah, of work. It was, it was funny, and then I. No, took well, it, it is to funny, and place. I'm just not mathematically. I'm ignorant. <laughs> I'm just not quick. Well, you're very quick, and thanks, so man. you guys, thanks for being quick with us. <laughs> Um, so speak. Some of you yell at your little stereos and your your, your, little, little your stereos. Rio players. <laughs> your Rio players. <laughs> yes. I was watching the history of the MP3 player the other day. Of course you were. While you were yeah. smelting your leaders <laughs> on candles <laughs> and tanning some leather. <laughs> it's a typical Thursday night for Mother you Peter. You know, there's nothing like being a polymath. So mm, we, God bless you. Um, we love you guys. Um you uh, are so kind to listen to us, mm. and um, and may the Lord's work be accomplished in your life and the old baptism of the Lord. Indeed. We'll see you next week. That is, uh, or hear you next week. We'll talk we'll, to you next week. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.